I went from oil and gas where availability was king, right? That was the most important thing to protect was the uptime and the availability. You you can keep that oil pumping, right? Um, then I then I go to the retail manufacturing space where at Haynes Brands, oh my, I won't make your champion hoodie, you know, the right way. If but that wasn't what was important. What was important was payment card money, right? Can we keep selling on the on the front end? And then I come over here to insurance. And it's interesting because I'm in an insurance and financial industry. So the, the two definitions of what's important to my legal entity that handles all sorts of assets and investments, that's availability for trading purposes. And then, but in general, it's lots of personal data, lots and lots of personal data. So that confidentiality. Welcome to the Cyber Ranch podcast, recorded under the big blue skies of Texas, where one CISO explores the cybersecurity landscape with the help of friends and experts. Here's your host, Alan Alford, president and CISO at Alan Alford Consulting. Howdy, y'all, and welcome to the Cyber Ranch podcast. That's Jacqueline, a.k.a. Jack Powell, CISO at Allianz Life, former deputy CISO at Haynes. She has also consulted. She has worked at Chevron, General Dynamics, and SACI. She has an illustrious career, in other words. I feel the need to point out as well that, like me, she has a non-traditional academic background. She got a BA in psychology from Mount Holyoke, woohoo, and an MBA from Case Western Reserve University. So longtime listeners know that I value educational backgrounds that are not cybersecurity because we need those diverse perspectives as we craft what is still a pretty new career discipline here. But that's neither here nor there. Jack is here today talking with me about the new SEC regulations and about cybersecurity. Uh, Jack, thank you so much for coming on down to the ranch. Happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. All right. I, I, I got to admit. Uh, I've been trying to get you on the show for a while. For for listeners, the final version of the SEC ruling came out in late July. Uh, publicly traded companies in America. Of course, this is this is a very American biased show because obviously, if you're in the UK or or wherever you might be in the world, you don't care about the SEC. But 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 this impacts the bulk of my audience, so we're going to talk about it. Uh, Mid December, I think, is when the switch gets thrown. Is that right? Uh, yes, it is. All right. So how about um, give us the highlights? Uh, what are what what are the you know, what's the outline of the new rulings? We've got disclosure, risk management, board expertise. Walk us through the highlights, if you would. All right. So the, the first and most significant highlight is the disclosure of cybersecurity events. Right. So now the SEC is asking for us to disclose events uh, that are material uh, and in a specific format to them. Uh, regular reporting at the board, material definition uh, within four business days. So that is the one that I think really kind of sticks in my craw, uh, simply because that's a really short time frame when you're in the middle of a data breach or a crisis or a cyber event and the management thereof. The other one that's really tricky to handle is the previously undisclosed but material in aggregate security events. Yes. So that's going to be a huge challenge for a lot of people, too, because as we do an investigation, we have a breach. Not only do you have to deal with the breach, but then you also have to kind of go back in time and say, ah, I didn't tell you, SEC, that two years ago we didn't patch that server. That was piece one of the step of the intrusion. Right. So now we have to go back, document and disclose material and aggregate series of events as well. And, you know, you know how long it takes for us to even determine the cause of an event, let alone going back and then remembering to report that immediately upon finding it to the SEC within four days within their extensible business format. Yeah, that's crazy. Yep. Another key thing about the disclosure is the definition of material. 
So the good news is that the SEC isn't telling corporations or organizations what does material mean. But what that does mean is all of us organizations need to up our game when it comes to cyber risk impact quantification. I, yeah, I would agree there for sure. Um, but I'll also say that materiality does exist as a term in, you know, the CFO's office, for example. Like, like that, that's already been around for a while. The CFO has a, a pretty good handle on what materiality means. And maybe that's why they didn't define it as they kind of thought they were falling back on, on what is conventionally understood in CFO circles, for example. Is that, it I is. Mean, that was my thought. It is. But, you know, not all CISOs are really friendly with or talking to their CFO no. function at all. No. Um, I mean, no. unfortunately, in our industry, a lot of CISOs are still reporting to CIOs and it's the CIO that's over there talking to the CFO. Um, so if if a CISO doesn't already understand their business, that would be my number one recommendation for everybody who listens to my voice today. Um, is to get to know your business. As I say to kids and like interns and stuff, kids, sorry, it sounded ageous, but uh, people who are coming into the cybersecurity defensive career for a start, coming from other careers or kids. <laughs> and I always say you need to understand your business and you understand how to break your business and how to steal from your business, right? If you don't understand that, then you're not going to be able to understand what that CFO and the finance function has documented in terms of material. And you should use that definition of material to also prioritize your, you know, healthy controls and your defenses, right? You want to you wanna be stacking up. You want to protect the crown jewels. You'll hear a lot of people talk about we should be protecting the crown jewels. Well, you should also be protecting and at least aware of all of the intersectionality of the systems that cause you to not be able to sell whatever it is you sell and not be able to collect money, right? Or what is and, it? And not that be is able to produce whatever it is you sell, right? Like, right. Like, like for a, for a tech company, source code repo should be high on your list, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's interesting because my, my last three roles, right, the three global organizations I've worked at, I went from oil and gas where availability was king, right? That was the most important thing to protect was the uptime and the availability. You, you got to keep that oil pumping, right? Um, then, I, then I go to the retail manufacturing space where at Haynes Brands, oh my, I won't make your champion hoodie, you know, the right way if, but that wasn't what was important. What was important was payment card money, right? Can we keep selling on the, on the front end? And then I come over here to insurance and it's interesting because I'm in an insurance and financial industry. So the, the two definitions of what's important to my legal entity that handles all sorts of assets and investments, that's availability for trading purposes. And then, but in general, it's lots of personal data. Lots and lots of personal data. So that confidentiality, right? Um, and all of the supporting systems we have because life insurance, <laughs> life insurance is life, right? So that's a long, long time. And you keep a bunch of rickety old systems around, right? So are you paying off your tech debt as you go? Uh, which brings us to another key piece of the SEC regulation that was proposed. All about cyber risk management. So we talked about the definition of material and we talked about uh, disclosing to the SEC, but what we didn't talk about is the requirement to make, uh, produce the documentation and show that to the SEC, right, should you have an event, relative to your risk management program. Right. And I'm sitting here thinking of, you know, it's funny because there's NIST standards for risk management, right? There's uh, SOC 2 requirements for, for risk management. There's the, the phrase is bandied about in a lot of places, but not necessarily codified in great detail, 
right? Like, like there is an instant, like don't ask me to cite which one it is. I forget which 800 dash, you know, special publication it is. There is one exclusively to risk management, right? But, but in most cases, you see it as a checkmark vague phrase, like thou shalt have risk management without a whole lot of strong definition about what proper risk management looks like. What are the steps? What are the phases? What are the aspects? What are the subcomponents? Um, where's the SEC falling on, on providing that level of detail? So uh, they're not yet, which is which is good. Um, again, in my in my opinion, I think regulators should ask for best practices, but not ask for specifics, right? And let and let companies experts. define the specifics. So, for example, going way back to when the NIST cybersecurity framework was first published, right? They published it with a whole bunch of what they called blue text, right? So they had, you know, five cat five main categories. I think it was 289 like subcategories. And they published this big tome and they said, okay, thou shalt have uh complex passwords, right? But they let they in blue text it the complex or the complexity of that password was up to the organization to set those standards in the details. Does that make sense? Yeah, so, no, that does make sense. So the regulator should say, you should have complex passwords, right? Although Although NIST, we could have a whole conversation right. about the passwords. Phrases and all <laughs> right. That. Let's yes. not have passwords at all, right? Let's use biometrics. Anyway. Um, but so the regulator should say, you should have complexity in your credentials, right? And then it's up to us businesses to, based on our risk appetite, we should kind of be defining those things. Plus, we're the cyber experts, right? And cyber experts, you and I have talked about this before, not on the show, but you need to have three skill sets. You need to, that's why I love people with the diverse background because they kind of bring this alternate perspective. But when I was recruited to come to my role that I'm sitting in today, the recruiter told me, he said, you have three things that we're looking for. You have strong business acumen. You can understand our business. That's great. Um, you have, you have to have the IT and information security, like kind of, of experience and details. That is and he what we wanted do. the consulting experience that I have in my past nice. so that I could translate the two to each other. And that's really what risk. And communicate um, well, right? Well, <laughs> I don't know that I do that, but I certainly try. And so let's go back to the risk management program, right? Again, a lot of CISOs don't have access to the CFO and a lot of CISOs don't have access to the CRO, not chief revenue officer, chief risk officer. Right. If there okay. is one. If there even is one. Now, in my world, Allianz yes. is a German <laughs> of course. global company. We do risk. What is insurance? But risk management, right? Um, so so we're we're pretty we're pretty robust in our risk management systems. But what we're getting even better at, and this is fun for me to at work, I am my best one of my best friends is the chief risk officer. And he has me on speed dial because he's like, should I be worried about this thing? I just read the headlines, you know, move it. Should I worry about move it? Should I worry about Silicon Valley Bank? You know, what do we need to know? So he's got me on speed dial. We talk all the time. However, he's also my partner when it comes to cybersecurity as a top risk or an enterprise level topic. I chose that phrase very specifically because if you read the SEC regulation, it says, hey, all y'all companies. You should really be treating cybersecurity as one of your enterprise risk topics. Just as much as you would talk about a hurricane if you were, say, an oil company in Houston, Texas, that's a top risk for your organization as an enterprise. 
And a lot of companies don't treat cybersecurity as a top risk. This is true. And a lot of companies don't even have an ERM, but that's a whole nother story, right? Correct. The, the enterprise risk management needs to A, be there and B, be inclusive of cybersecurity in a critical way. Uh, I was uh, in one company I worked for, a very large company I worked for. I was the chair of the cyber risk committee and a member as that chair of the enterprise risk management committee. Right. And so I would manage all the cyber stuff, but also report it into ERM as a peer with all the other key risks. So there was a finance person. There was, you know, there was me, et cetera, et cetera. And so the, the true risks to the business were properly treated on equal footing. Cybersecurity risk was right there with financial risk. It was all one and the same. Right. It was done well. It was done right. I bet you learned a lot about your industry and your business by sitting on that enterprise risk committee, didn't you? Oh, I did an awful lot. And I also learned a lot about finance that I didn't know before. Um, but but I guess the reason I bring up that story is, sadly, for me in my career, uh, that was a one-off experience. Wow. Um, really? Where is, where is the cyber risk on the board of ERM in most companies what is that role? What is that relationship? How valued is cyber? How, how much is it seen as a peer to financial risk, et cetera, et cetera? I would argue that the majority of companies out there are not treating it at that level still today. That is correct. And that's why the SEC regulation says dun, dun, dun. you need to treat it like an enterprise risk. And what does Thou that shalt. mean to treat it like an enterprise risk? So I, I have a couple of very specific examples. If your CISO doesn't know about a merger, or an acquisition, or heck, even a divestiture. If your CISO office is not viewed as a valuable business consultant and able to perform, especially if you're acquiring, oh my goodness, if you don't do your due diligence from a cybersecurity perspective, you could inherit uh, just a cancer. <laughs> it's yes. just, I hate to say a it absolutely. that way. Absolutely, absolutely. Right? And then that systems integration work coming under the CIO. So you have to like kind of look at the company's history and ask yourself that question. Another one would be, hey, do you really want to work with that supplier or do you really want to work with that sales partner? And in my line of work, that makes a big difference. So third-party risk management in my world doesn't mean just the suppliers of software systems to me. It means the distribution partners. Do we want people selling Allianz products whose security best practices are not best by Stretch of the imagination, right? Yeah, because it could no. be a breach on their turf. But it's your data. But it's our data. And there's our Allianz policy holders. Yeah, we just recently went through something actually that happened at a third party, third party related to move it. Um, and that's it's just a pain. But anyway, so those are a couple of key questions. And also my advice would be, even if you're not a standing member of the Enterprise Risk Management Committee, A, find out if your company has a chief risk officer. And if not, you know, like, find out why. Suggest um, that. <laughs> yeah, suggest that. And especially with this SEC stuff, because boards of directors everywhere, because they can be held personally liable for cyber events within the organization that they are governing, right? Remember, they're governance. They're not supposed to get all up in they're, management they're knickers. Right. They're not management, but they need to receive reports from management that management is managing effectively. Yes. So board members everywhere should be asking if they haven't already, they should be saying, hmm, with this new SEC regulation, can you management tell me what's the definition of a material cyber event? Do we know how to even do root cause and report 
are we prepared to report within four business days to the SEC? And, and the answer I can almost guarantee is no in most cases. Let's, let's be brutally honest about it. Four days is a rapid turnaround when you're still trying to figure out what the heck, right? Like I've, I've been through incidents. I've managed incidents. And I have seen, uh, we got to go get these logs. We got to go get those logs. We got to get these other logs. Let's start cross-referencing. Okay, it would appear that the bad guy did the following over here. Okay, great. How did he get in? Well, now we got to go get those logs. We got to go get those logs. Oh, look, the time sync on these logs is completely separate. Let's stop and do some math. Uh, where does this server reside? What time zone is this in? Da, 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 da. Okay, all right, we got all that straightened out. Now we got more logs. Now we got, oh, look, this thing wasn't logging. Why wasn't this thing logging? Does anyone know why this thing was, you know, et cetera, et cetera, oh, wait, And don't et forget, cetera. the whole time, the business is screaming at you to turn it back on, whatever yes. it is. <laughs> right, right. For for any value, of, you talked about that, like, the oil must flow, the spice must flow, right? A uh, little Dune reference there. Um you know, it, 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 you know, uptime is downtime is death for some businesses and they don't care about root cause. They, they, do you think you kicked them out? Great. Bring it back up. Well, what if they're still in? I don't care. Bring it back up. But, but, but they could just take us down again. Worth the risk. You, you seem like you're quasi confident that you did something. Bring it back up. And, and this is the business breathing on your neck as the CISO. Tell me where your four days is in that mess. Or, Tell me where your, your four-day turnaround your, is in that mess. Unfortunately, and your boss, the CIO or the CTO, right? Like, because they're getting screamed at. But um, the good news is it's four business days. And since you and I both know bad things happen right before holiday weekends. Of course. And weekends uh, in general, right? It's, uh, so good news there. We can spend our entire July 4th holiday or entire Thanksgiving holiday working on the investigation and know no, that we've got four business days to notify the SEC. And, it, you know, I've never seen an incident that didn't teach a lesson about how to do root cause analysis. Uh, you know, unless you are somebody who is so shot through with holes that you're having an incident every five seconds, uh, it's a relatively new experience to have one, right? Most CISOs don't have a history of incidents under their under their belt. Um, it depends on where you've worked and what you've done and if you've consulted for others and if you've broadened your footprint and all these kinds of factors to, to be somebody who's done a lot. Like if you've been a consultant who works incidents, of course you've worked a lot of incidents, right? But if you're just, if you're just a CISO at, at shop A and before that you were CISO at shop B, the odds are you've never had one or you've had one. So where do we get our expertise on incident management, right? Like four days is a fast turnaround, is a clean shop that knows exactly what it's doing when an incident hits. Bottom line, that's my take on it. Howdy, y'all. Alan Alford here to tell you about Alan Alford Consulting. After being a CISO five times, I decided to launch my own cybersecurity consulting practice. My cybersecurity career has spanned companies ranging from five to 50,000 employees, with revenues ranging from $2 million on up to $10 billion. I have worked in the cybersecurity industry itself, telecommunications, manufacturing, education, legal, data services, defense contracting, and for a number of SaaS providers as well. What I can do for your organization is to help you better manage, measure, report on, and more importantly, execute on your cybersecurity program. I have helped clients employ cybersecurity frameworks, conduct maturity assessments, develop board reports, and even to draft comprehensive three-year plans with budget and headcount projection to meet compliance and maturity goals. I can help you with anything from an assessment to comprehensive execution. I also offer retainer packages. Find out more at allenalford.com. That's A-L-L-A-N-A-L-F-O-R-D. Dot com. Well, the the so I've I've got a few bullet holes, which is good. I've been around a few, right? So that's that's I guess good for me personally, my experience. 
So the funny thing about my current situation is the SEC doesn't actually even apply to my role because we're not a publicly traded in the United States entity. Okay. However, I do um, note that SEC regulations, you, you started the call by saying we're pretty America centric, but the S these SEC regulations happen to coincide with BOFIN, which is a European regulator. Um, I don't know what it stands for, but it's a financial regulator over there. And then they have a new critical infrastructure regulation coming out called DORA. And a lot of these recommendations of, hey, we're going to want you to disclose because the intention of the regulator, much like New York DFS and some others who are like, you have to disclose your events to us, is kind of the intention of InfraGuard, which is that public-private partnership we have here in the United States, which is if you tell us about your incidents, we can all learn from them, right? The multi-stake ISAC uh, published the ransomware survival guide with inputs from events, right? So a lot of people... I've encountered a lot of people who think regulators are bad, right? Yes, yes. I'm, I'm not, from Texas. You hear that refrain routinely down here. <laughs> yeah, when I lived there, I, I seem to recall that. And I've been in heavily regulated industries. Like I worked at nuclear power plants, talk about regulation. Wow. Um, so, but they're not bad. What they're trying to do, and specifically this specific SEC regulation, the the disclosure piece, while, well, the four days is going to be tough to meet, et cetera, the intention is how can we create a database of events so that our licensees, right, or corporations across the globe can increase their cybersecurity resilience or cyber resilience is the name. Right, phrase, right. So, so right? we're we're optimistically assuming that they're taking an ISAC type approach. In other words, like, hey, if we gather and aggregate all this, we can share this back out and say, hey, if you're in financial services, it seems like three folks have been hit with X, Y, and Z. If you're over here in manufacturing, four folks have been hit with X, Y, and Z. Have they stated publicly that's their intention? Have they no. stated they're going to back share this info? Because, I mean, you're right. It would make a whole lot of sense if they're going to aggregate it to, to anonymize it and share it back out. That would be brilliant. Okay. But so have they actually said they're going to do it? I don't sit on, I'm not one of the leaders within the financial services ISAC, the FS ISAC, but um, I bet they are. I bet they will. Yeah. Um, I mean, I could certainly, I'm, I'm actually mentally making a note, like I need to reach out to a friend of mine who is on the board of the FS ISAC, at least for the North American FS ISAC. But the FS ISAC, financial services ISAC is actually global. Um, and they do share events and they do. And that's why it's, it's, um, controlled access they have the traffic light protocol with their with their event with their um work products all that kind of stuff so but back to the sec because i know that's what you wanted to talk to me about um wanted to dive a little bit deeper so i've given some advice on the material so make sure that your security operations center is a good partner and a good friend right and that your tabletops go to this point of including informing regulators Mind you, because I have so many state disclosure laws that we have to like kind of map to. Um, plus, I have the benefit of a global suck, right? Because I belong to an Allianz company, I'm very fortunate in that I have a very, a very good um, global security operations center. It's it's good and it's bad, right? Because sometimes global, like if I have something and I want them to pay attention to me, I do have to kind of make a little bit of noise. But then they do like allocate resources and they would drop everything they're doing to like help. Um, here in the United States, if we were to have an event, as I said, though, I don't have to disclose to the SEC, but I have to disclose to a ton of other people. So, um, 
But the risk management, so we've given you advice there. Get to know your SOC, run a tabletop that includes regulator disclosure. Make sure that you actually have all of the mechanisms to even do it. Get to know your CFO. Please, I'm begging everybody. Get to know your business. Make sure you understand material event so that when you're doing the root cause, you can say that was in a financially significant application. Ding, ding, ding. Got to remember to make my note, come back, you know, file that because you're going to assemble more teams as you start investigating. As you, as you know, tapping in more people to investigate things. Okay, so get to know your your CFO and your business continuity management friends. Um, that That's always very helpful. Then the second piece around this cyber risk management, to your point, if you don't have a CRO, why? Start asking why. Um, and then having those documented policies and procedures that you can then explain and people within your function need to be able to explain to others um, and again, your risk function as well as your CFO will help you know what to make sure you have risk decision-making documentation. Because you've been a CISO before. So how many risk decisions do you take every day? Okay. If I don't go to that meeting and I don't send a security architect to attend that, like how far could they go not secure by design? Right. Like, is I, this I, one I even have time to dip into? No, I'm going to politely ignore it for now. And, and you, you just said I'm risk acceptance. Right. They, like that's a moment of risk acceptance. Whether um, you like it or not. Right. So do, so do I have to document that? Like to what level of detail and how in the heck are we supposed to be able to predict that the one project I didn't fund that year like, because I didn't fund, dang it, I didn't fund the cloud security posture management project in 22. And here we are in 23 and I have an event. How could I in today know retroactively, shoot, I should have documented that funding decision. Ah. Right, right. So so for me, I guess, you know, there's two, there's, there, we're describing two scenarios. One is that scenario where you just don't even engage at all. Like the, you see the business is doing a thing. And you say to yourself, that team generally doesn't screw up on the security front. I'm going to let them run amok for the next two months while I'm focused on these eight other projects I'm working on. And I'll circle back with them, hopefully before they go live, maybe shortly after. You know, those kinds of decisions get made on the regular. And that's not part of a formalized, documented risk management process, but that is most definitely risk management is what's taking place there. Then to your point, there's the budgetary example. And this is where I hammer home with every CISO I know. Don't budget on anything other than specific risks. We are addressing risk A, solution B will address it, solution B will cost C dollars. We don't have C dollars. Okay, then risk A does not get addressed. Period, end of discussion, wipe your hands, walk away. We as a business chose to address these three risks and to let these other four not be carried through. Even though our CISO alerted us to them, we decided they are lower priority, et cetera, et cetera. Budgeting and risk management can be the same thing if done right. But that still isn't the same thing as the project management perspective that, you know what, these guys around the corner, it's not a it's not a budgetary concern. It's not a we're going to buy equipment for this new product they're spinning up. It's normally I would have my architect sit and review with them and I would have my project manager do blah, blah, blah. And chief of staff might go by and say such, such, such. But they're scattered across eight other projects right now. I'm just going to have to let those guys go for a little bit. That one is not the same story as budget. I don't have a clean Alan's got a solution for that one solution. How do we, in the face of SEC risk management requirements, like how do we tackle that one? That's sad. I don't have an answer either. How do you, how do you, I mean, I guess you, you do your level best to kind of roll it up and say, if I don't have enough people, right, performing security architecture or project management or whatever, down to that level of detail, is it, 
you know, because that scares me to death. Like, I'm always worried, like, oh, no, we're going to let our business start using this minimum viable product. And and we're going to start on, a, a you know, let's say it's a minimum viable API. <laughs> right. And minimum viable is, oh, it doesn't have all the features and all the fields and all the data points that we wanted to see in this API exchanging data about, you know, what did I just say? My business is sensitive personal data between this other business. And that is the API that gets breached, right? I, I don't have enough people. And does that end up being material? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But I can tell you that the advice will come as you sit on those enterprise risk committees or as you are a member of senior leadership and you sit down with your CFO. Because if you think about it, the CFO struggles with this all the time too. We didn't hit our sales numbers this year because I didn't fund. I didn't have enough money to fund all the things that I'm being asked to fund, right? So that thought process of balancing risk and reward and, and investment and growth versus paying off tech debt, right? Like those are decisions that CFOs make all the time. Are, and, and risk, sitting on the Enterprise Risk Management Committee, for me, back at Chevron, was like super educational because I said, dang, how do I as the CISO, who's typically going to come to you with FUD, you don't do you don't do all this think fear but the bad be thing. afraid bad thing yes. death horror yes. um which in Chevron's case could be actually an explosion um of a if you had a true cyber attack on a um colonial anyway. pipeline right uh well colonial pipeline yeah I mean I just I go back to the Aurora projects right early in my cyber career was the Aurora project where DHS you know demonstrated that they could log in and get, cause a generator to spin and blow itself up that was interesting um. Good book, by the way, uh, with lots and lots of Dune references is Sandworm uh, by Sandworm. Adam. I'll have to go yeah. check that one and out. And that's a that's a story of the the threat actors from Russia who, um, as we all know know from the Russia Ukraine conflict, uh, now we all know that there's lots of capabilities in the operational technology cyberspace. But that's my beginnings. So back to the Enterprise Risk Management Committee. You sit into a meeting like this, whether it's the CFO or the Chief Risk Officer, and you listen to your your other risk-owning colleagues talk about how they're going to take out the business with geopolitical unrest. In right, this right. Here's a catastrophic event. In, right. Yeah. Here's this operational failure. And you're just like. And, and now pandemic is on everyone's list. Right. It didn't used to be. Right. <laughs> but it, but it's, a, it's a fascinating lesson because you're like, oh, okay. So if I do bring cybersecurity events to this business, I want to invest all of my my limited dollars, right? Because you're only going to be given so many dollars to address the risk that you own, which is a cybersecurity event, right? So I think to myself, like, okay, back at Haynes, it was all about that preserving that payment card industry and we can't sell, right? So it's like all about the uptime of the website and then the, I got to watch the call center people. And so so it's not that I ignored all the other basics of cyber hygiene and controls, right? But but you had priorities. But you focus your priorities. So, um, and I really do believe that that's all this regulation is trying to do is it's really trying to get board members who are responsible to govern to really ask themselves hard questions about how are you managing the cyber risk? What are your priorities? Based on a risk forward perspective, what are your priorities? Correct. That's the question. Right. 
Is it availability? If yes, of what is it, you know, and then how do you balance, right? Um, I remember I interviewed for this role actually with the former CEO. We have, now have a new CEO and he asked me a question and he goes, yeah, God, it just seems like we spend so much money on cybersecurity all of the time and specifically access. Been, how can I not have any cyber risk? And I said, well, you could close your business. Right. <laughs> then there's nothing to steal. <laughs> You're always going to have cyber risk. So it's a matter of being professional about setting your appetite, making sure you as the CISO or you as the information security function, right, can can articulate the value of the investments in your cyber programs and cyber people and cyber capabilities. Is that the incident response capability that you need to invest in? Is it the recovery investment that you need to make? Is it the tech debt you got to pay down, Right. There's, there's lots of questions. And so how do you prioritize that is, is the challenge I think we all are facing. And I, I kind of feel like this SEC regulation is going to rise the tide for all of us folks. I like that. I like that. And and I guess the last piece we haven't talked about, and we're we're getting close to time here, but I definitely don't want to ignore it, is the board expertise piece, right? We've talked about disclosure. We've talked about risk management. We've talked about prioritization. We've talked about business alignment, ERM alignment. You know, is your business a C, an I, or an A business, or all of the above, or some combo, or whatever it might be? We've covered all that. Uh, what we have next is um, the board expertise. The SEC is saying you have to have expertise on the board. And I think a whole ton of CISOs are super excited about this idea that they're suddenly going to get that board role they've always wanted. Like, <laughs> what's your what's your take on that? Um, okay. So from an incredibly selfish perspective, because I am looking at that point where I'm not sure how many more years I could be a CISO. Actually, I know it's going to be five more. That's it. Uh, that this full-time gig has got to stop. And I, and I do want to go sit on boards simply because I do have that varied background, right? So I, I'm, I'm actively looking for board roles. Here's the bummer thing. They didn't make it a requirement. They soft-pedaled oh, that portion of it. They said oh, it was going to be a requirement, but they- And then they, they backed then, off on then that Then they one. kind of backed off a little bit on that one. What was, what, however, in the meantime, in anticipation that you need to have cybersecurity expertise on your board or for your board, there's a swath of organizations that suddenly offer cybersecurity education for your board. Swath of them. Some of them are good. Some of them are meh. Um, I personally was like, oh, they're going to make it mandated. So I'm going to be like, in, like people are going to want to put me You're on their boards. And then I was like, yeah, yeah, they didn't even make it mandatory. Dang it. Interesting. But, th but that's fine, right? Um, when I first got here, I the previous CISO had to leave, um, and my board was very scared and very confused, right? Um, understandably. They were like, ah, that previous fire house is, is the house on fire, Jack? Like, you know, what's going on? So sussed it out, whatever. And I realized there really isn't cybersecurity expertise on my board. But you know what else isn't on my board? I don't necessarily have digital or transformation expertise on my board either. And CIOs and CISOs or and CTOs, CTOs, right? Like we, we all share a common problem. Board members tend to be retired CEOs. Historically, I mean, you know, we can we make lots of comments about diversity there, but I won't. I'll just say, you know, C, retired CEOs, CFOs, uh, COOs. Maybe COOs, right? right? Right. How many of them have undergone a cloud migration? So, and how many of them truly could explain the cloud, right? Yeah, Let or, or alone, digital transformation. Correct. 
or cloud security. So I found myself, oh, like I have to explain (laughs) why we need to invest in cloud security and all the little things, right? And I wanted a unified vulnerability management program, all this stuff. And I'm like, they they need to understand. Let's just talk about software development life cycles. <laughs> Let's start with tech debt. What is tech debt, right? Right. So you, so we had these. It was really cool. My um, uh, so my organization allowed me. Well, asked me actually. They said, would you please run these literacy sessions? My board members actually asked for this. Oh, nice. And through my um, governance function, and we had 90 minutes off cycle to the quarterly mandatory CISO reporting to the board. Um, and we talked about things like tech debt, software development lifecycle, the importance of patching, like just just some fundamentals so yeah, that when CICD. we got into, yeah, so that when we got into the more sophisticated, I'll call it, mandatory reporting, they were like, ah, right? One of my That's board what members- That's she's talking about, yeah. Yeah, I love that guy. Um, I won't give his name, but one of my board members asked me the question that they first wanted me to focus on in my first literacy session, we called it, was what metrics are you showing us and, and why? Yeah, it's funny. CFOs don't have to go to the board and say, here's how to measure me. CISOs do. Yes, we do. Here's how to measure me. Like, look, here's how to hold me accountable. Let me let me show you the thingy jiggers that I manipulate and the dialies and wheels and knobs I do. And here's the results that come out of that machine I've built metaphorical machine. Um, and, and here's how to judge whether I'm doing well or not. Like, like CFOs don't have that burden. <laughs> we know how to judge a CFO. Everyone knows how to judge a CFO. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in publicly traded companies, share price, right? Share price is like the metric that's used. So, um, which is one of the reasons why my MBA is actually focused in nonprofits. Cause I was like, that's actually harder. It's harder because you don't have a share. Like, like how, do, how do you measure success of a nonprofit? I was like kind of intrigued because there's no financial like metric. It's like how many clients are served or what it's so specific to the business. Anyway, so back to the board cybersecurity and expertise. I would say that the SEC, again, is trying, they've already mandated that you should be hearing reports from the CISO. Okay, that's been mandated, I don't know, for a while. <laughs> Plus they were all motivated in 2014 when Target happened. <laughs> they were all like, what are we doing in cyber? Cause like, holy cow, I could get sued for that. Oh, let me, let me, what's Do my we organization? Have a cyber? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Do we have a cyber? <laughs> yes. Oh, I'm sorry. So tacky the, Allen is tacky. No, no, it's hilarious because they, I mean, do we have a cyber? Like half of the times they can't even pronounce cybersecurity. Right. So think of the education that has been happening on boards kind of all over since then. A lot of that's where the NIST CSF ended up getting like completely subsumed by IT organizations because they were like, oh, because I've used it myself to explain to my parents what I do for a living. Yeah, I've, I've used it to 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 incoming classes of um, employees. Right. So I've like it's identify, protect, detect, respond, recover. Those are super simple and easy for people to understand. Right. And so organizations all over the place adopted CSF because they were like, I don't know how to measure my management's effectiveness. And imagine the room for truly, if people wanted to be, you know, that guy in, in cyber defense, they could have made up all sorts of pretty stories like rainbows and unicorns. Here you go. I'm doing great. I am the most awesome CISO you have ever seen in your life. Right. right. Until the but, incident. Until, <laughs> right. And uh, yeah, 
Okay. And then, anyway. the, and then the investigation and then the digging in and then discovering that rainbows and unicorns don't, in fact, secure an organization. Yes. And uh, it's most unfortunate, but now we CISOs can actually be held personally liable. Yes, indeed. And that has been demonstrated. That Okay. So we need to, I need to come back and talk to you about cyber insurance and directors and officers insurance. Right. Because I am we do need to have that conversation. passionate about we, that we, space. And I have an oyster farm. Show. I could lose my oyster farm. Right. Luckily, not at Allianz because I got coverage and we have a very mature and robust. Anyway, back to the board cybersecurity roles and expertise. So there's a couple pieces of advice I do want to offer people who are CISOs who are think they want to be on a board. A couple of questions to ask yourself. The number one question, why? Why do you want to be on a board? OK, because and then the other question to ask yourself is what kind of board? Right. Like, do you want to be on a nonprofit for mission alignment? Do you want to be on a startup high growth company? Do you want to be in a larger? Do you want to be in a publicly traded and therefore subject to the SEC scrutiny? Right. How what what kind of board? Why are you doing it is the big reason, because the first thing you're going to have to do is you're going to have to ask yourself, uh, am I creating a conflict of interest with my current job? Right. Big question to ask. So you need to find out if your current job would even sponsor you sitting on a board. Right. Or or allow or whatever. Um, the other thing is, do you today report and interact frequently with your board? Okay. And the other, so there's two pieces of advice we gave everybody on this call today about disclosure and definitions of material. And we all, we just agreed you need to go get to know your CFO, right? Because you just said yourself, the CFOs don't have to explain to the board how to measure them. You sit on a board. Okay, you're not just there for your cyber expertise. It's not like you're only going to sit there and receive the cyber report. You are Newsflash. holding the CFO accountable. You're holding you, the CEO accountable. <laughs> you are going to be reading thousands of pages, thousands of pages of board books. And you had better be damn passionate about that organization because you're going to spend your entire year between board meetings reading articles about that industry and that market. So those are just a couple of pieces of advice. Are you able to join a board? Why do you want to join a board? Can you leverage your current board interactions expertise? Get to know the CFO, get to know the CRO, because those roles are going to be part of your board experience. Might seem a I little daunting, it. not impossible. I strongly encourage everyone who is a CISO um, to aspire to sit on a board because the SEC regulation may not have mandated it, but there are organizations out there who would benefit from your business, your cyber and IT and technology expertise, and your consulting. I love it. I love it. Jack Powell, thank you so much for coming on down to the ranch. I'm glad we finally did this. And, and honestly, we tried to do this before the ruling even came out. Like I said, I've been trying to get you on the show for a while. The stars had to align. It's, it's not your fault. fault. I'm not blaming your you fault. at all. I'm my just fault. saying. Well, we both got no, sick. No, no, no. You know, it just took us forever tag. to do it, right? But but we did it, and I'm grateful that we did it after it came out because I didn't realize they retreated on that board mandate, for example. So thank you for being the expert on the subject. Uh, thank you very much for coming on down to the ranch. Thank you, listeners. Y'all be good now.